The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he was 28, and now, roll time. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome into it, weekend editions here. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal. Hope you're all bundled up and warm. Plenty to get to. Reaction to another punch to the junk. Nebraska basketball last night. Man, oh man, what almost was. Familiar theme. And uh, we'll dive into some uh, news and notes of the week with Nebraska football. We welcome in Mr. Cranach. Marco, what's up, brother? How are you? You know, doing okay. And that's a really good way of putting it. Punch. Uh, to the junk. <laughs> and the kids were watching it last night. They were living and dying with every shot, jumping off the couch, you know, every five minutes or so when Nebraska would make a field goal. Like, yes! This is going to happen, it, Mark. What's that? I said, this is going to happen, right? That was their, their thought. That was what was going through their minds. Those sweet, innocent little children of the Cranach household watching their big red hang in trade blows with number six and a you know a two seed uh, or or one seed in some instances we'll find out later today but man uh, oh but that was uh, you know there's been so many moments of our lives where we've been that fan in the living room and we're watching our team hang in try and pull the upset. And then it, it it goes disastrously wrong. <laughs> one one final possession wipes away uh, almost forty minutes of of near quality. Not it was it wasn't all quality, but man, I feel I I so feel for Fred Hoiberg because the guy can coach. The guy's got more patience than most saints. And when push comes to shove, you got half your squad that doesn't know where they're supposed to bleep and be. And you still have an element of extreme selfishness or that old coaching saying, can't do it or won't do it, where let's go get this win as a team. And Nebraska had opportunities beyond that final possession Free throws, certainly, but it, it is excruciating, and I just wonder, moving forward, when it comes to who you're going to go after and recruit, if you'll you'll take into consideration what what type of teammate you're going to bring in. Maybe I'm way over the top with that take. But this isn't the first instance of, of – guys are going to make mistakes. There's no perfect game. I, I get that. But 
you see McGowan's bouncing the basketball. You see Teddy kind of get in the way, either not execute a screen or I don't know if it was supposed to be a pick and pop or, or whatever. Fred didn't get into the details of who was supposed to do what last night. And then there was some action down from a screen and get free with uh, a cluster of, of three other players down kind of, you know, roaming around between the baseline and in the paint area. And nobody knew or at least executed what they were supposed to do, uh, at least the majority of the five on the floor, Mark. Yeah, and I I know what you're saying about what kind of teammate. I, I don't know if that's as much it as it is. Just there, you don't have that glue, that chemistry, that sort of. And it, I, I don't know. Is, the, is, the, the is, take it, no the take no prisoners pace setting point guard right. that keeps everything in, in right. I I feel like there are a lot of good individual players, mm-hmm. but they're just missing that 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 guy glue. who brings them together. And here's this right in 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 that response, and I think that's that's a smart take. With this COVID, these guys aren't able to just go hang out and get to be bros. I mean, because they've been isolated the last thirty days. Yeah. So yeah. it's well, it's, it's, it's a little way, different. Keep that in mind, dude. Yeah. This was Game Three this week. No, I know, I know. <laughs> Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the Big Ten, too. Right. Well, like yeah, look, look, look who it's against. <laughs> I mean, Minnesota has yeah. been ranked. Wisconsin is ranked. Illinois is. And I'm watching the footage right now. You've got Banton trying to to squirm out. Freddie uh, uh, to Teddy flares up to try and screen and just stands there, and he's calling for the ball. Lat pops out to the perimeter, and that that's about it. And you know, I'm I'm wondering what what Teddy was supposed to be doing. And I'm also wondering what the action's supposed to be on the backside because when when Fred like rips off the mask and yells, it seems to be at those backside guys. So yeah, I'm trying to figure was, out. I'm trying to figure out what that backside action was supposed to be because I don't really see a screen. I just see a couple soft cuts towards where they they think they want to spot up from. I can't I can't figure out what that backside action. I'm to be. again. I'm watching the footage. It's like it's a, the Subruder film here. <laughs> <laughs> and and then Lats trying. You know, Lats your your three point guy. And then you know what, what's Banton doing? Because Fred immediately spikes the mask like he's Gronk in the end zone. Teddy's there calling for the ball, doesn't set a screen, just kind of stands. Trey picks his dribble up and then hands to the air, kind of looks at Fred. And Fred immediately burns a hole in somebody down on the baseline, and he needed to. And then he turns and looks at at Teddy. So a lot, lot of blame to go around. Here is Fred after the game, not getting into specifics, but does touch on just how inept that last bit that that is not indicative of all of what what Fred was calling he had the uh, the offensive coordinator headset on much of last night for sets and Nebraska executed well despite this march they've been on Cranach they jumped out nine nothing and and I think you might be able to hear this mark we'll we'll run it anyway here we go you know the lack of execution on that last play is extremely disappointing uh you know to draw something up that we think uh could have 
at least gotten us a good look, you know, to, to win a game like this and then to go out and have a couple guys in the wrong spots. That's the hard thing, Robin. That, that's going to be the one, uh, you know, that, that certainly will keep me up. So hard to take, keep me up, and a couple of guys in the wrong spots. But Cranach, they're not going away. We'll see what their energy level's like Sunday against Penn State. Uh, we'll see if they can get over the hump finally. But, I mean, it was just gloriously on fire last night on Twitter with Nebraska basketball fans saying, oh, they're, they're close. Nebraska basketball fans in, in one corner proud of the effort, but many just on fire with the fact that they found a, a way to, to not do their job. Well, th- listen, I, it, you just got some mismatched parts. You know, I, Donald O'Banton, talented guy, hmm. I think. A, a very different body type for the point guard position. Yeah, I mean, like a point forward size. One assist. Yeah. Well, and and, yeah, how many, and you can't put many, that all on him. No, not That's, not 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 all on him. But how many missed free throws? I mean that that you you can't have him handling the ball. Six. Yeah, and and he was shooting free throws after the game. Great, wonderful footage. But it's just yeah, and and he's a guy that's super talented, very athletic, but super big time liability at the well, line. He's he's. He's also a really introspective guy. When you hear him in the post game, he's a deep thinker. He's, you know, he's sharp. He's got a lot going for him. But should he be the 1A point guard? Eh, probably not. As a changeup for a few possessions? Yeah, great. You know, but where is that guy that that sets the pace? Takes no prisoners. Well, it's <laughs> it's, it's a floor general. It's it's McGowan's, but he's a turnover liability. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> the the right guy had the ball in his hands from an athletic standpoint to get a shot or or create in McGowan. I'm talking the floor general, though. No, I I'm know. I'm talking the guy that like when he dribbles the ball up the floor. You know, there's he, no, he there's no, it. there's no Ty Lu on this team. No, well, right. Floor it's, general. Yeah. It's uh, it's frustrating to watch. And here's the other thing about last night and kind of how that last. Uh, bout of regulation went that last play that is one of Fred Hoiberg's strong suits as a coach I remember when he first got hired I talked to a good friend of mine that covered him at Iowa State Mm -hmm. for years I'm like all right give me some inside baseball here like what what what's Nebraska getting with with Hoiberg and he's like you are going to absolutely love him on on out-of-bounds sets he's and he's like you're also going to love him late in halves like, because those kind of those two things go hand in hand. And he's like, he is just brilliant at out of bounds plays, out of bounds sets. He's brilliant um, at the end of halves. Like their scoring percentage goes up at the end of halves. Um, and <laughs> like that's what Hoiberg is known for, <laughs> right? That's what he. That's like sort of his coaching specialty, which gives you an advantage. And so to see that. I mean, that, it, to see that ending a half was just a complete abject failure. And one of the first times I think that you saw such pure raw emotion <laughs> from Cody. Have you seen him throw or like cuss or like, you know, you just don't see him lose his cool ever. He lost his cool. Well, in that moment despite the because mask, he was beside himself. What the F was that? And then what there was in, in overtime, there was a really tough shot taken by somebody. 
<laughs> friends on the bench, I mean, just knelt. Knelt down, forward, head in both palms, just leaning forward. There's a still pic of it on Twitter. And it's not what I called. It's not the shot we wanted. And and he's spent the week talking about smarter basketball. And that's the... That's the Achilles heel of this team. And they're 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 good kids, they're smart kids, they're talented kids, but when push comes to shove, they just don't make the right basketball play enough. And that's too bad because individually Fred looked and says, "Let's let's go get one of these guys, let's bring them in." And the transfer part of it is it, it, back to your chemistry point is always going to be an issue and you saw it as an issue last year and it's kind of chicken or egg do you need to win to attract high school talent yeah you're getting a five star in 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 Bryce McGowan's but you're largely getting that because of Abdel Massey's ability to to be money at recruiting but you're you're getting him because of the the family tie right so uh You've got a plethora of high school talent that you can still get when it comes to to Green and Trout here for uh, a recruiting cycle here down the road. In-state kids that are really nice that some Blue Bloods really want. You have Chucky and and, and Hunter and and that crew that are going to end up elsewhere, and you're going to see Chucky in your nightmares because he'll be at Wisconsin and you'll be playing him twice a year. You know. And by the way, what what is he, Chris? What what were we just saying that Nebraska's missing? A, a Chucky Hepburn type, right? No, I know. <laughs> I, you know that, what I mean? Floor a, general, a pace, right. a pace setting floor general. Mm-hmm. Like the game runs through him, the whole game. The offense and defense, the, like he sets the pace and the tempo for both teams in every game he plays in. Mm. Like it's going to go how Hepburn wants it to go. He's the maestro, <laughs> right? Right, that, right. And Nebraska just is completely lacking that. It's an intangible thing. It's difficult to quantify, but he's that dude. He's that guy. It's, Nebraska does not have that. No, guy. They, they really need that guy. And, and they and they and they have that guy just up the road, <laughs> and he's not going yeah. to Nebraska. And it's more of a a, a, a tempo thing, style wise. The Wisconsin offense seems to be a better fit for for Chuck. Chucky could play anywhere. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. with what with what Fred wants to do with uh, with pace and space, but you, you feel for for Hoiberg, uh, no doubt. They've been on the cusp a few times. This is Coach Hoiberg uh, after the game touching on this this march that Nebraska basketball is on. You've heard Jawan Howard comment on the air quote health and safety of players that the Big Ten's been so <laughs> so adamant about when it comes to football. Well, it's been kicked to the curbside for basketball. Fred spent some time last night on seven games in 12 days. You know, we have to test early. It's just the way it is with all the different sports that are testing at the Devaney Center. So uh, we'll go in and, and test at 8 in the morning and go straight to the airport from there and fly out. I think our flight time is at, is at 9 a.m. Um, you know, be a long flight and then, you know, get our guys some rest, get their feet up, and then we'll be able to go over to the gym, uh, I think at 4.30 or 5, for a very light walkthrough with an early game. And that's that's the hard thing about this one. You know, I'd have to play early and then have a day and then bounce back and finish this crazy 
stretch. I think it's seven games in 12 days um, in five states. And, you know, capping that off with, with the back-to-back at Maryland after having 20 days off. I mean, that's for people that have played this game, uh, you know, you know how hard that is to take that amount of time and have your bodies deconditioned and then have to bounce back and ask your guys to go out and compete like they are and have games stacked up on top of each other and to play their asses off every time they're stepping on the floor. That's hard to do, man. And that's what these guys, I'm telling you, since the first day that we got them, I knew they would be competitors. Now, have we played the smartest basketball this year? No. Uh, We played much better in that area tonight, and hopefully we'll get that back. But when we went through what we just did, you know, it's extremely difficult. And I couldn't be prouder of our players for how hard they are playing basketball right now. You know, praise there from Coach Hoiberg about his level of proudness with the team the difficulty they're facing, and uh, they're going to keep trying to grind. Io uh, Sumo was was just fantastic last night. Took over, really carried Illinois. Nebraska didn't really find a way to, to make him go left ever. Are those guys that good? I mean, Kofi and him. I mean, Kofi's they're, Kofi's they're both going to be in the NBA next. Kofi's year, like... a bull in the chi- in a China China shop, and he's all right. Uh, he gets away with the little Georgetown mid-80s physicality in the paint, and that's just how the Big Ten lets him roll. I think when Illinois is on, Cranach, you can kind of jump in on this too. When Illinois wants to give a damn, and I think they kind of just, I don't know how, and this is not knocking Nebraska, okay, but I mean, it was a, it was a later Friday night tip-off, and Illinois had moments where, they're not completely zeroed in. On top of the fact Fred coached his butt off, um, those factors really helped last night's number for Nebraska to cover. Because <laughs> nine times out of ten on a neutral court, or if Illinois is giving a damn, they'll, they'll, they'll win by 15 or 20. They're that good. They've shown the ability to be that good. But they also aren't always uh, locked in depending on the opponent. They have the tendency to play down to some lower teams, and it almost got them last night. Yeah, I just thought, you know, no answer for DeSunmo. Obviously, Coburn is, uh, well, and, he, and he's basically an Isaiah Roby when Roby was locked in, you know. Um, could just get to the rack and mm-hmm. couldn't really do anything about it. The, the, and, he, and he was a pretty good finisher there, too. And then, yeah, Coburn is just, yeah, you're yeah, that's a, it's a really good comparison. He he is a Patrick Ewing type. He's just a big beast that's hard to. And you saw as soon as a, a shot goes up, he's moving people three feet. Yes, he's finishing the you block. Know? He's finishing the block downfield. Man. Yeah, it's it's not just boxing out. I mean, it is like re, it is deep displacing he's moving you. I, I think it would be a list as a pancake waited uh, to Trey McGowan well, at the end. Uh, well, and the oh, fact is, that, and all he does is he goes from one part of the block through the paint like that's my ocean you're moving and he'll just he'll throw a block he'll he'll yeah. he'll he'll interfere and bang here's uh here's the seam for uh somebody to get get to the rack and, and finish and so he no he completely nullified somebody like trey mcgowan's his game right where he like he likes to get to the rack Right, mm-hmm. he likes to get in close, and you know McGowan's ends up five of twenty because how many shots were altered or blocked or missed? It, you know, yeah, it's but, but tough how, matchup. But look, number six team in the country, 
It's your third game in five days in the Big Ten. You got another one coming up tomorrow. All things considered, that was one of Nebraska's best showings in sure. hoops in a long time. Yeah. Really no, was. Don't disagree. And, and and I think we've talked before about this too. There there is not much of a darker place than a basketball locker room that is losing. Mm, that, I mean, finger yeah. pointing gets legit. Coaches start questioning everything. It it gets pretty dark pretty quick. And you, you are not seeing that team cave. You're not seeing them sort of throw in the towel and just sort of try to get theirs type thing, which is a lot of time what happens when a team starts starts losing. They're, com, you know, competitiveness-wise, they are – they're still getting after it. I know this almost sounds like you're praising a, you know, ten or eleven year old team or something, right? <laughs> They're trying hard, but but there is something to be said for that. I think all things considered, having that month off, having to kind of like dust yourself off and go compete again and again and again and again. They keep doing it. They keep doing it, and they're not showing signs. Or they didn't show signs last night of kind of giving up. They, you know, they're trying to win every game. You know, they're just they got some fatal flaws. I mean, just look at the the what Derek Walker did last night. I love that. That kid's dude was given a hundred and ten percent all night. He was getting bodied in the paint at times by by Coburn, and he was still coming back for more. He was, I mean, boxing out pretty well. I think he finished with eight boards, and you could just see how the the game changed once he fouled out in overtime. The uh, Cranac, you you mentioned your your lovely children just jacked with the potential of an upset, and they're on the edge of their seats. Watching and cheering for Nebraska, I can see your little ones doing that. I got home from my game last night. I had Southwest and East, so I caught the second half. And my wife is, you know, got the fireplace going. She's in her flannel PJs, and she's, you know, got a blankie on. And out of all the things that happened last night between the final possession and and the overtime. She looks at me and says, well, you talk about names all the time. How do they get Coburn out of that? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's pretty good. And if you saw his spelling, phonetically speaking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> his name is Cockburn. I know. Phonetically speaking. <laughs> It's good that he's not no. named that. <laughs> That's kind of what this whole season feels like, really. The phonetic, the phonetic pronunciation of Coburn's name is sort of how <laughs> the basketball feels this year. If you think about it. <laughs> Oh Lord! Okay, um, big old Coburn. Yeah, <laughs> that's about right. Give me uh, some Sav. So we will uh, rewind with Gary Barnett coming up, and the the topic of the <laughs> dreaded culture came up again. Cranack, uh, real quick here. You got about three or four minutes before we got to get out. Uh, give me some salve with some aloe cooling properties. Just give, yeah, give me a steam room. Um, a thought with with the Hymas commentary. Oh, a couple things there. I thought he was pretty. I thought he was pretty honest, and I don't think he threw a hand grenade. I don't think he was. Um, I don't think he. I don't think he hatcheted anybody. I think he. I think he answered honestly per his view of things. For and for folks that maybe didn't hear it, didn't read it. 
it was essentially Hymas saying he doesn't feel like Nebraska turned much of a cultural corner. Right? I mean, is that the best way to... Yeah, that's that's fair. Kind of wrap up. Didn't feel like they turned a, uh, a cultural corner and mentioned specifically that he and Adrian Martinez and Matt Farniak in the offseason would try to set a tone, but that there were still uh, plenty of guys kind of doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so insinuating that the culture is still not on point. I think you've I, got you've got some older guys, and then you've got some younger guys that aren't all in, and maybe some of those younger guys aren't here anymore. Yeah, could be. And but I think there's a couple things there. I think one, it tells you that so, so those people that were mentioned, this is not. Listen, I'm going to couch this by saying this is not a knock on them because it's not like I would be good at it either or mm-hmm. whatever. But I think it does speak for the strength of leadership. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's he's more or less admitting defeat in some ways. We're just like, hey, we tried to get it all together, but people just wouldn't follow. Well, that kind of gets down to like strength of leadership. Like, do you have the leadership qualities? Do you have the types of leaders that you need to make sure? <laughs> right. That there is that you accept nothing less. So I think that kind of stood out to me as like. I think there's maybe some I think Nebraska has been led by some reluctant leaders in some ways. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have that leadership strength that maybe you need. That was one thing that stood out. And then two, look, I, I don't blame him. Do what you do, what you got to do during COVID. But behind us, he, he decided to not finish the season with his team. Right. He decided to opt out and not play his last game. And you're allowed to do that. That's fine. But does a program leader do that? Fair question. Right? right? And again, this isn't to criticize it's not, him. It's like, not personal. It's just it's one thing to say leadership and yeah. the locker room things aren't aren't fixed. It's another to say it when you're a guy who opted out. And then, look, this is a guy that I mean, you cannot question his the playing ability, accurately. Right. I mean, he started more games on the offensive line than any Nebraska player in history. Like you, you don't question the guy's contribution to Nebraska at all. But you do question again, not him specifically, but you do question just leadership in general in that locker room. If you want to be a player-led team, who are those guys? So, so to me, that's what his comments unearthed more than anything. It's just you're clearly lacking as a team those very strong leaders that set a tone that everybody follows and has everybody going in the same direction. That is not happening. Mark Cranek, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Gary Barnett will get into what he thinks Nebraska's problem is. That's on the way. Weekend edition of Tale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back with you, Tower 2. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr. We still didn't get an answer from Damon on the would you 
part of that Jerry Jones buying wine at a 7-Eleven. In a pinch, yes. It's good, it's good. I know he's been good on the golf course today. We welcome in the coach, Hall of Famer Gary Barnett with his son, Hale Varsity. Coach, what we shoot today? Uh, you know, it wasn't bad, Chris. You know, a little 81. So, could have been better. Missed some putts. That happens. I'm sure it was a little warm and too much sunshine and, you know. <laughs> it was hot, yeah. <laughs> sweating. Yeah. Couldn't hold the club. <laughs> yeah, Damon and I are sweating because we have seven parkas on uh, up here. <laughs> should I Should I be concerned that my mother gambles three days a week on the golf course now down in Arizona? No, I think you should be delighted. <laughs> you know, I mean, she's having fun if she's gambling. No, I know, know I know. Little... I'm excited she's <laughs> having... You want her to have fun? No, I want her to have a great time. I just don't, you know, some... Brother, there's there could be some sharks down there, though. That You know, that $5... Game could turn it into to fifty. I'm just saying it, it could be the slippery slope argument. Well, if you get a phone call saying, "Chris, I need some financial help," then yes, be, be concerned. Especially until she calls, she's doing fine. Especially if I get it instead of my brother. Yeah, if <laughs> she's asking me, oh no. Well, uh, good. I'm glad you shot an 81. You'll make those putts tomorrow. Uh, we'll get into some football topics here in a moment, but uh, how did the Super Bowl Sunday go for you? Uh, well, you know, I probably watch it a little bit differently than than every than a lot of people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I was just amazed at how um, not amazed, but uh, I loved the simplicity of Tampa Bay's defense. The fact that they just said, "Look, they're down two tackles." We're better on the edge than they are. We can double their great players and get to the quarterback with a four-man pressure and, and uh, you know, wreak havoc through there. And that's just what they did. I mean, those two guys on the end, Barrett and uh, the, the other kid, uh, they just stole the show. You know, they, uh, they absolutely did. They made life miserable for Mahomes. Uh, they couldn't run their offense, no matter how good you are. I think the beauty of it to me was you have to have all the pieces. And we know about all the receivers, and we know about the quarterback and the running backs and all the skill guys that, that show up so much. But that game came down to two pass rushers and two pass protectors that, you know, it, where it was a great imbalance, and it made the whole difference in the game. So, you know, I I, I like the simplicity that Tampa Bay had in their defense, and, and they just let them play. It was fortunate they could do that. They couldn't have done that if both those tackles were there. But because of the situation, they could. Gary Barnett's with us, Hale-Var City Radio. You know, Levante David is well-known here because of, of how great he was at Nebraska, and he's had incredible numbers on non-winning teams in Tampa. And he's he's at a couple Pro Bowls. He's even made a couple All-Pros, and he's ended up you know anywhere between 50 and 75 a few different times when the NFL Network counts down the top 100 greatest. So he, he people who know football know Levante. But man, oh man, did he showcase his physicality and his ability to to – be right there against Kelsey. And that's 
Coach, that's a luxury a lot of teams don't have, correct? Where you have a guy that can can be a big enough problem and difference maker on the defensive side of the ball. And you're a guy who loves tight ends, throwing the football to and finding ways to get open. I mean, I thought that was pretty – you're right on with the edge and getting after Mahomes. But I thought the coverage, being able to go one-on-one with Kelsey from time to time was pretty big. Well, it was. And, and you know, his partner there, Devin White, yeah. played about as well as you could play in a football game. But he's done that for like four or five straight weeks. And so, um, you know, they they could double Kelsey when they want – you know, lots of times they double Hill and double Kelsey. Kelsey, mm-hmm. because they could get to him with a four-man rush and even a three-man rush at times. So when you can do that, then you control the whole game. Coach, uh, is there a pass rusher that you still have nightmares about that you faced as a coordinator or as a, as a coach that, that you still think about? Is there somebody who just had a, a great day against one of your offenses? Well, you know, Probably I have to think about it, Chris. You, you surprised me with that one. But uh, what we would do is you look, you look at all the stats, and you see there's a guy that has unbelievable sacks. I mean, he's just the dominant player. Mm-hmm. Sacks and tackles for a loss. That's what you always look for. Sacks and tackles for a loss. And if you had a player that was dominant uh, on any team you had, then you had to account for him. And when that happens. When you can't play them one on one, then the defense has an edge. You have to you have to put either another blocker on him, lineman, to help, or you've got to put a fullback or a tight end to help, which means you take somebody out of your your pass route. So um, you, you know, right now, I'm just thinking of somebody in particular. I can't think of anybody right off the top of my head, but um, you know, there were a lot. We played a lot of great players. And uh, you'd always go through the stats the week before, find out who had those kind of numbers, and then you set your game plan around it. Coach, I want to switch gears, and uh, I sent you the link. And I don't know if you had a chance to look at it or not, but uh, you had Brandon Hymas, uh did a Q&A with the Spun. This was when he was doing his senior bowl work, and then the topic in Nebraska came up, and we're back into that culture discussion. I know it's February, and I know it's the off season, and you know, he kind of intimated that, you know, things are still lingering from a culture standpoint, and Hymas said that in his opinion, we didn't turn any corners, really, just another frustrating season with things not clicking. I think you got the older guys that are doing what they need to do, but some of the younger guys maybe weren't, and uh, maybe it was pretty clear on offense. It's just it was a mess with some of the team wanting to go to the bowl game, some of the team not wanting to go to the bowl game. My question for you, at what point, where was the sign and the signal? When did you feel right about being able to hand off that locker room to your team and or to your captains to be player-led? I mean, kind of take me through how you got to a certain comfort level. You've always told us here over the years that player-led teams are the best, and I absolutely believe you on that. But how did you get to that point? Because each team's different year to year. Yeah, and, you know, I, I have I lived through two examples. Um, 
uh, and or two others, but I, uh, the two that, that are, uh, stand out the most was, first of all, at Northwestern, it took me three recruiting classes um, and uh, isolating each class um, away from the older players uh, until I had three. I had a total of 60 or 65 players, maybe 70 players, that I had recruited there. And I started from the time that they showed up as freshmen. I isolated them, and then I put them with someone who taught them lead- started teaching them leadership. And I, in two-a-day camp, three-a-day camp, I isolated them away from everybody else and started that way. And then the next year, uh, I put two classes, the next, uh, the, my first two classes together. And I, you know, I, I, I made it available for everybody, but, um, you know, I, I, I treated them a little bit differently because they had to, they were the ones that were going to come down the road and lead our football team. Uh, at Colorado, and, and then at the end, after I had three groups together, then and they spent a year or two years together, uh, and three years together, then all of a sudden they were able to take it over. And at Colorado, uh, I can't, I inherited a really athletic team, really um, a lot of good players on it my first year, but our leadership was, you know, kept us from being uh, a great team. Uh, and some of my own hard-headedness kept us from being a great team, too, because I, I wanted them to work harder, and I wanted them to be more physical. And um, When I started on that campaign, they, they pushed back a little bit, and uh, I was stubborn, and they were stubborn. So we, we probably could have been a 10-win team in, in 99 with the talent that we had. But, um, you know, until – until they got the idea of what I was going to be about and what I was looking for and demanded in the way of leadership, it got in the way. Uh, but for, for Colorado, it took me two full years um, to get it. And the third year is when, you, you know, I, all the, it was turned over to the players. Mm. And so, uh, you know, it just it, it takes a while. And it just depends on the culture that you're inheriting. And in my case, the culture I inherited at Northwestern was probably very similar to the culture at Nebraska. Um, and so, I, you know, it's, it's a three- or four-year deal before you can turn it over to them. You tell them about it and, and you show them, but they're not ready to do it. So, And, and sometimes you can't tell uh, right after the season – um, it gets darkest before the dawn sometimes, mm-hmm. and and that sort of happened in both situations for me as well. Can you kind of give me a, a look, see if you're comfortable with it, as to the culture at Northwestern? I mean, when you talk about what what was what was it, and what did it need to be? What what did it turn into for that Rose Bowl run versus what what it well, was, and as to yeah. why you isolated. Well, the the um, the culture was one of accepting losing and accepting the fact that you're never going to win, and it permeated the entire athletic department, and it permeated the city. Uh, you know, expectations there were none. 
they just didn't think it could be done, and so they tolerated. Um, they tolerated just. You know, there was we almost dropped. We almost went to the Ivy Leagues the year before I got there. I didn't even know that wow. until later. But it, it came down to a vote as to whether they went to the Ivy League and got out of the Big Ten. And so the people that worked with our players, the, the trainers, the academic people, uh, no one had any expectations of them. And so, therefore, um, you know, the, the whole culture was, was of no expectations and no demand. Nobody demanded anything of them. So uh, it, we had to change everything. And, and when I say change, I want to say we had to create a culture. There really wasn't one there. And so we had to win over the academic people. We had to win over the administration. We had to win over the community. I had to, you know, <laughs> I, I got them to put up big banners on game days. I got them to, uh, you know, uh, uh, close down part of the street so you, so, uh, you could bring the buses in and we could have a, uh, a police escort. They never had a police escort. Um, you know, to make it so that the players felt like it was more important because was important because it was not important to anybody in the community. So we had to make it important. See, those aren't the things you're fighting at Nebraska. Those were the things I had to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was, and that's why it took four years. Sure. You know, now it's not that way. Now it's, it's, they expect you to win. They, um, you know, everybody that deals with the players has uh, high levels of expectations and high standards. And so it's, it's different. It fits and, and Randy Walker were able to, you know, take it to another level. What do you think you're fighting in Nebraska? Entitlement to some degree. Um, I, I think that it sometimes it, it, I, I compare it to Texas, that it's, it's so good and expectations are so high and the, the players are treated like royalty and rock stars. And you know what? It entitles you. It, it just takes something away. And, you know, you've got to go back and scratch and claw and get dirty uh, and earn your entitlement is what it takes. And sometimes you've got to go that way as opposed to the way that I went. Gary Barnett's with us on Hale Varsity. Coach, about 30 seconds. Can you share your reaction after you stepped in there and said, oh, by the way, we may be going to the Ivy League? Did you lose it? I didn't know that. But one, uh, once you I, found I didn't out. Know until John... John Bacon wrote a book, uh, and um, it was – I read the book about – I had heard I heard rumors, but no one would verify it. And so I read, I read a book by John Bacon, who's a big Michigan guy, and yeah. he talked about what was going on. And he described it play-by-play. Play. So, <laughs> I mean, we, we literally dodged a bullet. Oh, and it was one year before I got there. Jeez. Gary Barnett's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, this was awesome. Thanks so much for your time and your insight and sharing your thoughts with us today. Okay, Chris. Have a great weekend. You too. Gary Barnett with us. Awesome stuff about uh, culture and handing off and sifting through the uh, the rebuild. 
The Hail Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Back with your weekend edition, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal. We welcome in Brandon Vogel, managing editor, HaleVarsity.com and magazine. His book with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. And you follow Brandon, or you should, on Twitter at Brandon L. Vogel. Vogues, how was your evening? Did you weep after that final possession with Nebraska basketball? Uh, I didn't quite reach the level of weeping, but certainly frustrating. And, you know, with the way this season has gone, you almost, well, the way a lot of past seasons have gone for Nebraska, both on the basketball court for the men and uh, on the gridiron, you almost hate to feel bad for just playing well, but I kind of don't. <laughs> I expected to tune into that game and it to be a game for about, 12 minutes of clock time. Uh, so I think like Fred, when he opened the press conference last night, there was at least something to feel good about there, but you get that close and you just can't quite pull it off. Uh, certainly feels frustrating as well. Brandon Vogel is with us on uh pale varsity radio. Yeah. And God, what is the thing, the thing, if you had to pick a thing, one thing or a type of player, what is that thing that is that is missing? Because they don't seem like terribly far off, but they're also very far off. What do you think yeah. they're missing? Um, so there, there's a couple of things. Uh, if if I could only choose one, I think I would go with uh, a, a go-to scorer. You know, so when you find yourself in a position like that, I mean, so Teddy Allen right now is their kind of default option and, and I don't think it, it quite reaches the level of we need a bucket we're going here because we know this guy can get us a bucket or at least get us a good look because Nebraska consistently gets good looks like that's that's not an issue um, it's just kind of finishing those things it's they just they seem to lack that you know when you get down and, and they haven't been in a ton of games like this lately where it's it's tight the whole way, and you gotta you have these kind of high leverage possessions every so on. And, and where do you go when when you have those? And I think they're still looking for that. Um, so that would be the first thing I pick. Vogues, what what will last night do? Will that be the the final insult where this team was right there and it could have been a tipping point positively as they head into Siberia Sunday? at Penn State, or do you look at it as, no, it, it, it still is a tipping point where they took number six to the wire. It'll it'll give them some more buy-in and some belief because you know the effort's going to be there, but maybe it'll serve as one final reminder of, of how things can go if, if they execute, unlike that last play in regulation where they, they, they do kind of turn it around and this will lead to a win. Do you think it unravels or it strengthens? 
I think it strengthens. So my feeling immediately after, well, going into the game, you know, I think like a lot of people, you could just kind of run down the remaining schedule and be like, yeah, there's not a game here where where you'd even feel great about Nebraska's chance to get a win the rest of the season. And now I feel much better about them doing at least that. Uh, and I think that's important. And, you know, I think some of that's a credit to the coaching staff and specifically Hoiberg. His press press conferences, even though they've they've started to feel much the same because the results have never changed, really remain, like, honest, but at the same time upbeat of, like, here's what we did well, here's the things that frustrated the heck out of me, um, and we're working on it. So I think when you have kind of that positivity coming down from the top, it makes me a lot more makes it seem makes it seem more likely that they'll use this near miss as a positive to kind of spur what they hope to do the rest of the year. Brandon Vogel with us on Hale Varsity Radio. And so now you got Nebraska going to Penn State. Kind of hard to believe they play again tomorrow. They're essentially just playing every other day. What do you th- I mean there's a couple ways you could do it. You could just sort of forego a lot of the games that you that you had scheduled that you just lost to COVID or you can make up for them. And the big 10 has decided that Nebraska should make up for them. Your, your thoughts on that decision overall, would, would you play it that same way or do you think they should get a break? I think you, you probably need to pull that, pull back on the reins there a little bit versus what the big 10 actually did. Now. I mean, I, I'm sure Nebraska wants to play as many games as they can as well. But this this schedule is just brutal, um, and, and you're right. Like you kind of wake up, you're like, oh, you know, Nebraska just played last night. We're talking about it. And, oh, they play again tomorrow. Uh, nobody has like, mentioned in our company Slack last night. It's like maybe Nebraska should just play every day, but only game only games that are ten minutes long. Their record would be much better. Um, and I can kind of get behind that. You, know, you show up. It's like it's like watching a game to to twenty one by twos and threes. Um, I, I could be in for that, but I don't think that's in the cards. So you just got to, you got to kind of buckle down and, and, and just do what you can. Uh, and when you mix in travel here, man, it's, it's going to be a tough week. So it's a pretty big challenge for them. But in some ways, I think how they come through this crappy hand that they have been dealt, um, it might be the, the biggest sign of, of what Nebraska was able to get done in year two of, of the Hoiberg era. It's not what anybody would have chosen. You would have liked to see more kind of real on-court results. But here you are. You, you've got that crappy hand. Now you got to figure out a way to play it. Yeah, and just just so uh, you know, for folks keeping score at home, this this run started on February 6th. It'll end February 20th. And during that time, they will have played, what, eight games? In 14 days. So it's it's basically been Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Now it's Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Set. I mean, think about that. Playing Maryland on the road back-to-back nights. And it's just, God. After the 20th, though, they get eight days off. Get to sort of recover. Well, at least there's a breather. Yeah. But crazy, right? Eight games, 14 days, and I think Fred said it, uh, five states. That's no good. I mean, that would drive Griswold and his family crazy. 
Vogues, uh, let's switch gears and get into some football, bud, and uh, a couple of different topics this week. You jumped in and uh, took a hard look at the SP Plus with Nebraska and ESPN and where uh, they are at. Nebraska comes in at, at number 30, and uh, they look and measure a lot of different factors with predictors uh, with Nebraska. But Nebraska in a, a decent starting spot. And if you were to pick one um, one position group that, that you're going to buy stock in, on the offensive side, and you've got three to choose from, what what group are you feeling best about? Wideouts, O-line, or quarterback? Oh, good question. <laughs> and you're going to go pass. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm not going wideouts. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. There's, there's just there's too much to, to be proven there. My, my gut reaction is, is O line, though I felt I feel a little bit burned about what I thought that group could be this year, and and they weren't. I, I think that's still still my pick um, with the upgrades. Well, just getting the body types that they've wanted to get in there uh, helps. I, I think Turner Corcoran is going to be really good. He's going to be, you know, basically technically a true freshman still, but uh, he, he got some game action, so so that helps, but. I think that's still probably the highest upside group on on that side of the ball right now. You could talk me into quarterback though, which which might seem seem crazy losing your your top backup, but you know if you look at Adrian Martinez's response, now there were still the maddening plays, and we tend to remember the maddening plays better than anything else. Uh, and I, I get that. Um, I was really encouraged by Adrian Martinez's last four games of, of 2020 for the most part. So I'm at least intrigued enough there. And, and you throw in some others, a guy we've heard a lot of good things about, just haven't had a chance to see yet. I can be talked into it, but, but I'll go with the offensive line. Brandon Vogel with us on Hale Varsity Radio. And then now because of the offensive line, and you, you mentioned Corcoran specifically, um, are there any players outside of him that you would expect to make a noticeable jump? Um, or or do, do you think they're sort of like quarterbacks in a way where you kind of are what you are and you just make sort of incremental improvements as you go? Uh, I, I think there's there's a, a chance for, for bigger jumps on, on the offensive line, just in general. Um, quarterbacks, yeah. For those that play early, you have to be at a pretty high level just to be able to do that in a in a conference like the Big Ten. Um, and, and I think that's part of the reason we see O linemen get there more slowly most of the time is it's, it's just a longer journey from being the you know six five three hundred and ten pound guy in high school who just mauls everyone because you're six four three hundred and ten pounds to the Six four, three hundred and forty pound guy, or whatever it is. Um, so I think I, I think there's just a longer journey for those guys. So the potential to take bigger jumps in the middle of that journey is probably increased. I mean, I think the first one that comes to mind is uh, is Ethan Piper. You know, we saw some really good things from him. Uh, he's really since he he got to Nebraska has has been a pleasant surprise, and I would I would expect that to to continue with him. 
Brant Banks saw his, you know, played basically the whole season at, at right tackle, and, and there was some good in there. There were some some high profile uh, struggle plays, but there there was enough there for me to to think you're getting you're getting better there, even just by having the same guy. Um, so that's part of what goes into me taking the O line there is. I do think they've got guys, and particularly young guys, who have a high upside. And with them, it's a little easier to to expect at least a little bit of annual progress from them. Brandon Vogel with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Brandon, when you're looking at the rest of the offense, are there any guys that you're expecting to, to make that jump this year? Or maybe they're a newcomer and they're, uh, they're trying to make a name for themselves in this Husker offense. But are there any guys that you, you're expecting to be a, a big part of this offense next year that we might not have seen much of uh, previously? They need somebody at running back, obviously, and I, I, I think by, I think they've got enough talent there that that one of those guys will emerge. Uh, so Marvin Scott obviously got the most carries outside of well their quarterbacks and, and Dedrick Mills, so he would be my top pick. He was he was a guy that I really liked coming out of high school. Um, though it's, it's hard because you don't have much to base it on with Savion Morrison, but he, he's another guy who I, I really liked in that class. And it wouldn't be that big of a shock to me to see him be like, okay, well, he's, he's fully healthy. He's ready to go. He got used to it through this bizarre COVID year of football. And he ends up being a nice surprise, but those two in the running back room, I think, might be my top picks there. And, and Nebraska, Nebraska needs that. You know, they added a transfer there. Uh, if he is able to to be immediately eligible this season, that might change the calculus a little bit. But for right now, I'm expecting them to lean pretty pretty heavily on those two freshmen. Brandon Vogels with us from Hale Varsity. Vogues, uh, a thought here, and and we have had Mitch Sherman on the different podcast uh, platforms with a, a crossover and Mitch has been uh, a guy we've seen in the press box a long time and he put together his his list of <laughs> crazy moments from uh, the decade is number one on the uh, the uh, the crazy ranking still the the post-game audio for you in the last 10 years or is there something that you kind of cling to that is I don't know I don't want to even go representative of Nebraska football the last 10 years, but something that, that still uh, of all the, uh, the drama, is there something there that, that would supplant the, uh, the sec- the double secret tapings? <laughs> no, I, I think that's still it. I'll, I'll kind of never forget when that uh, became public. It was, it was a Monday. So Nebraska had its regular press conference and then I was headed out of town I was actually at, at, at the Omaha airport just waiting for my flight kind of going through Twitter to see what people were saying about the about the press conference and then that hit and I was I, I, I thought about switching my flight I'm like do, do I need to like not get on a flight right now is, is Nebraska gonna have a new head coach in four hours when <laughs> when I get off this flight um, so it that that's pretty in, in terms of the magnitude of that, and, and I mean, I, Nebraska dealt with it and addressed it, and Pelini remained the coach, of course. Uh, but the way that that felt at the time is is pretty pretty tough to shake, and and really kind of you, know, you just can't have the same 
fan to coach kind of relationship and trust after that, that, that you did prior. Um, and I think that plus Nebraska's move to the big 10, uh, really kind of changed those last few years of plenty air. Brandon Vogel is with us on Hale varsity radio. Um, now, this spring game, uh, it appears it's going to be, what, early May is kind of the latest? May or, 1st. Or late yep. Yeah. So, and then there, it's still up in the air about, you know, campus visits and all that stuff and whether or not there's going to be, um, wh- whether or not there's going to be fans in the stands, you know, you would hope that that, that occurs. But let's, let's, uh, let's prognosticate. Let's look forward. It is May 1st. It is the spring game. What do you think, if anything, you will see that is different, that is markedly different from the last time we saw this squad against Rutgers? Is anything going to stand out that Nebraska can take to the bank going into the 2021 season? It's a tough one. Uh, it, it becomes the more and more of them I watch, the more and more I find it to, to take a ton from, from these spring games. I mean, I think everything goes basically according to plan. Logan Smothers, uh, your first extended look at him probably yeah. is one of the big storylines from that. I think you could, I think in a game like that, and, and you, you know, this is a problem with spring games. You never really know if it's fool's gold or not. Um, I, I, I could see a couple of encouraging things from, from some new wide receivers or some existing wide receivers we just haven't seen from. I mean, those are the things that people are going to be focused on. So I, I, I can see that. It, it's a little bit hard. I mean, a, a running back can certainly have a, a great spring game. We've seen that before. It's a little bit hard to take a ton from, from that phase of the game for me in, in that scrimmage sort of setting. Uh, and then, you know, well, with what Nebraska has coming back defensively, and as much football as those guys have played, you might not see a ton of those those types of players, a JoJo Doman, a lot of the veterans in in a spring game setting. But you know, I, I could see I could see kind of feeding into this this off season narrative about about the defense if the offense kind of comes out and struggles, and that, that you'll have the the agony and the ecstasy of that, be like, boy, the offense didn't look very very far along, but the defense looked great. Uh, I can see that unfolding as well. So it's, uh, you know, it, it'll be strange to have that in, in May or towards the end of April, though I think while well, they, they did that one to give these guys a break after, after a crazy season, but also you're, I, think they're, I think you're really hoping that players will, or recruits will be able to visit campuses at that point um, because Nebraska, if they extend this dead period beyond – Beyond April, uh, I get pretty concerned about Nebraska's ability to recruit the way it wants to recruit. Hey, real quick, you think Bill Bush, the Bill Bush hire as an analyst, is an insurance policy on a very highly coveted Travis Fisher? <laughs> Maybe jumping ship at some point in the next that's, couple that's years? That's great insurance. <laughs> Um, I, I can't say that I considered that to this point, but now that you mention it, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, he, he's a guy who not just has experience with Nebraska, but has experience with a lot of, of really big-time programs. He's a proven recruiter. Um, people have been clamoring for, for Nebraska to try and get him back. So to get him back as, as a defensive analyst, just with the way that strange LSU season shook out this year coming off the national title, 
Um, I think that's that's a little bit of found money for Nebraska. So, yeah, insurance policy is probably a pretty good way to put it. Brendan, uh, we've got about a minute left. There's probably time for a, a last thought. As we approach spring practice, can you give me two or three guys you're expecting to, to make some headlines in spring practice uh, and the guys we're going to be looking for in, in the spring game? Yeah, um, so I, as always with um, – with just the way things typically go, I, as I mentioned it before, but I think I think Smothers becomes a consistent a consistent uh, storyline th- throughout that. Um, that's kind of the easy one. Uh, trying one of the receivers, I, I could see I could see um, Betts kind of getting a little bit more attention. You know, he was the the one guy among that big group of receivers they brought in last last recruiting cycle that you feel pretty good about that you saw sort of the most of you you saw in limited snaps but in flashes his big playability and and that's another key theme for me of this offseason going into 2021 Nebraska needs to find a way to get back to the big play type of offense which is which is a big challenge you can't go hunting for that too much but uh I think a guy like Betts becomes one of Nebraska's best bets to help in that regard Folks, have yourself a weekend, bud, and thanks for jumping on with us. Thank you. Talk to you later. All right, Brandon Vogel with us, SaleVarsity.com and Magazine Managing Editor and Author with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. He is defrosting right now. We will get the Iron Horse. Up next, Gary Sharp with its weekend edition, Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. You're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. Back with your weekend edition. It's Hale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbo. We welcome in the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp with us. Sharpie, what's up, man? How you doing? Uh, doing well. Hold on here. I'm on the uh, first tee, so if you hear some sounds in the background Hold of people clapping. Hold everything. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, no, no. You you can absolutely. I've got, uh, I'm counting down the days as my brother and I are jumping on a bird down to sunny Arizona the 24th to do a little golf ball losing. So, Well, I appreciate the flex. Do you guys realize that if <laughs> the Big Ten had followed through on their uh, plan to play spring football, that there would probably be football today? That'd be awesome. <laughs> I, miss, I, I miss football. <laughs> I already miss football, man. Why, Why didn't they, they do it? it? Idiots. Because the Big Ten makes sense. They, they said, you know what? Why not have a season in the fall? College football in the fall seems a lot funner. Let's just do that. Hmm. Speak, by the way, speaking of Big Ten and baseball, yeah. uh, that's still kind of there, – there isn't a ton definitive out there, but it sounds like Nebraska may start their season at Round Rock, and then they, may be, they might go to Minneapolis, but they're only playing a Big Ten schedule. Gary, that would I feel. I feel like we ask you this question all the time, um, but it's just it's it's so different how they treat each sport. It's just weird. What the hell is going on with Big Ten and baseball? Well, 
What you said is right. Uh, Nebraska is going to open March 5th at a, a tournament with other Big Ten teams in Round Rock. Then the next weekend they're going to play in Minneapolis. Uh, Nebraska has their schedule. Uh, I think it will be released. Actually, the way Big, the Big Ten works, it might be released today, or they might release it on a Sunday. But I would imagine Monday the schedule will be released because all the teams have it now. But it's 44 games. It's 11 weekends of Big Ten play. You play a four-game series. Um, no conference tournament. Uh, it's going to follow along the lines of what they released for softball. I, I, I think baseball and softball are not a priority to the Big Ten. Football is a priority. Men's basketball is right after that. Also, you don't have baseball people that are involved in these decisions. So you get an all-conference schedule, which will really, really hurt the Big Ten, which also, oh, by the way, had a team playing for the national championship the last time we had college baseball. Um, it's disappointing. It's, I think, frustrating. But I think uh, you know now teams will embrace it. And you watch Nebraska baseball will play this up that it's us against kind of the Big Ten that they wanted to play. Now they got a schedule. They're going to go ahead and play, um, and we'll see how the season unfolds. But it is it's it's very Big Tenish on what they did here with uh, baseball because keep in mind, guys, Nebraska is going to lose some series, and you're not going to be able to make them up. You're not going to be able to drive up here to Omaha and come play Omaha, which you know might be the best team in the state this year, or play Creighton like you normally do. That doesn't make sense, but it's okay to go all the way to Rutgers and play. I'll, I'll, try, and, I'll try and figure that out in my head a little bit later. Well, you'll do that math and have an answer, I'm sure, but uh, just how damaging is it for postseason hopes with an only Big Ten schedule? Michigan's, I think, the only team that's in the top 40. Who else early returns, early reaction can can make a case for for Big Ten strength? I mean, where's Nebraska in that conversation? Well, I, I think Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio State are the top three teams, and Nebraska's not very far behind. And Nebraska feels really good about their their Thursday, Friday, Saturday starters. Um, you know, the fourth uh, starter is kind of up in the air. I think a lot of teams will have the same uh, uh, case, but it's going to make you. I mean, you're going to have to be really, really good. I mean, you can't, you can't be 500. Um, you're going to have to win series and not just, you know, split. You're going to have to win three out of four games. So it's going to be tough. If you're not already considered one of the better teams in the Big Ten, um, it's going to be tough to come from behind. This is really going to damage the Big Ten moving forward because if you're a coach, why would you play in the Big Ten? If you're a player, why would you play in the Big Ten? They don't really, they don't really, they don't really care about baseball. But yet there are programs, and Nebraska is included, that are putting money into baseball, and they want to be competitive in baseball, and the Big Ten is not just loving them back. But, you know, the Big Ten's got other priorities. It's called football, men's basketball, and they don't have a lot of uh, baseball people that are uh, chiming in. You know, we've barely gotten to know Will Bolt's baseball here in Nebraska yeah. because the season was, you know, cut short so much last year. And you have some known commodities. Of course, you got a Schwellenbach, you got Hallmark back, you got – Another Gomes, you know. See, so you have players that you're familiar with. Um, Mojo Hagee's back for his 48th year. There's a lot of that, right? But there are. There's also some new guys. Like when I when I say names like Bryce Matthews, Cade Povich, who did, you know, get some playing time. Uh, we saw him a little bit, right? Like we saw four games from him before the season got cut short. But really, don't know him yet. Who who are some names? You know, outside of the Cam Chicks and, and those kind of guys, new guys, sort of Will Bolt recruits that you think will be household names in, in Nebraska? 
I don't know. I think that's tough. That's tough, Mark, because you know we haven't seen any of those guys, uh, of course. Um, and I think this is going to be more of a veteran team early on. Uh, Cade Povich is their opening day starter, and he's put on about 11 pounds. Left-hander from Bellevue West, uh, left the state, went to play junior college baseball in Arizona, came back, and you know he was one of their top pitchers in the truncated season last year. He's going to be their opening day starter. And he's throwing harder. He feels real good. Schwellenbach, who has a chance to have a monster season, is going to be your number three starter. I think the whole thing with Nebraska, and they've got a nice blend. They've got a deep roster. I think that's what Will has recruited himself into. And he had some you know, guys come back that could off of last year's roster. They've got to avoid injuries, and especially on the mound. We have seen in the past Nebraska has been hurt by guys that get arm injuries that either are knocked out for the year or they're knocked out for a considerable amount of time. And so whether it be guys in your rotation or your closer, you've got to keep them healthy because you're going, to need, you're going to need a lot of arms to make it through this season because you're going to play Thursday, Friday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or a combination of um, one, uh, two single games and a doubleheader. So your pitching is going to have to be really, really good, or maybe you take the route and we get a lot of nine, eight-type games, those. But this will be a lineup that I think is pretty productive. Um, they won't hit a lot of home runs, but they will, uh, they'll be a big double-hitting team, and I think they'll be very aggressive, as we saw early on with, uh, you know, before the shutdown with Will's team in the, in the month that we saw them. Gary Sharp with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, Gary, within the past three years and about a month, uh, the Huskers have announced three new coaches for their top three men's programs being baseball, football, uh, and basketball. Could you rank those jobs from easiest to hardest in terms of returning those programs to a point where Nebraska fans will be satisfied with what they're seeing on the field or slash court? Uh, I think baseball. Baseball, Will Bolt's head in the right direction. I love Will. I mean, I'm, I'm biased. I've known Will since he walked uh, onto campus uh, with a glove in his hand to play for Dave Van Horn. I think Will knows how to how Nebraska baseball is supposed to work. In-state kids, uh, hardworking. Um, you don't back down. You play with a little bit of an edge. Uh, will they get back to the glory days of when Van Horn was here? Probably not. The conferences we were just talking about kind of stands in your way. I don't know, and I know you guys have talked about how frustrating, how enjoyable and frustrating at the same time last night's Nebraska basketball <laughs> game was. I don't know what the level of success is. NCAA tournament, I know that Hoiberg, he won't let this happen. Um, and, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm right there with him. We feel the same pain. Uh, I think Nebraska football, if Nebraska football this year, if they win six or seven games and they look good playing and they look like they're making improvement and there's at least hope, I think you could take that. But I think Will's in the best spot to get Nebraska baseball back to some semblance of regular success, winning, uh, where people feel real good about it. Hoiberg's not very far behind. I think Frost is still probably a couple years away from what you know, some would say, hey, can you win nine, can you go to Indianapolis? Sharpie, a thought with football. You, you had Monday, and Monday feels like years ago, but you had the announcement here with uh, Keenan Lowe, Bill Bush, and uh, Marcus Castro-Walker. Um, talk to me about Bush and what you think about uh, his addition, and then also Keenan Lowe, uh, the offensive analyst, and where he's at with just kind of his background not only as a high school coach, but also just how he fits in with being a pretty high-level wideout not long ago at Oregon. Well, all three of the hires, I think, to me, gives me a sense that when Scott Frost says we're close, that we've got it, he doesn't want to upset the apple cart, so to speak, but he wants a lot of familiarity with 
himself with other people so they can kind of, in a case, run it back Oregon style. Um, with Bill Bush, Bill Bush loves Nebraska. I mean, his family is here. Bill Bush is getting paid by LSU. So he can come and sit on the side and be an analyst and still be a huge uh, contributor to Nebraska football, whether it be defense, special teams, on-campus recruiting. I mean, there's a lot of things to like about Bill Bush. And, you know, and, 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 you know he, if you only get him for a year, great, because he may in January have options. But there's a guy that loves Nebraska. His family is here. He's come back. You know that he's going to give it all to be part of uh, success here. Um, Keenan Lowe is a really interesting hire. I think there's somebody who Scott sees a lot of himself in, somebody who is uh, – you know, thinks outside of the box when it comes to offense, is a really, really good person. Of course, has the great story that was first told on ESPN about uh, him being a teacher at a Portland high school that stopped the school shooter. Uh, I, I think he's, he wants to learn the business. He's got a bright mind. I think he'll be another really good addition to that offensive staff. So I think these are, these are hires that you're familiar with, that you feel like they have the same qualities that you have that they've been part of programs where you want those qualities to be part of your programs. So it wasn't really a surprise when there was connections to Scott with these hires. And, you don't, and remember, they don't want to have spring ball start and you have to introduce yourself or do a lot of teaching. They want to hit, spring, they want to hit the ground in spring football and be able to just keep going. You know everybody, know, everybody knows what they're doing and this is what we're going to do, and we don't want any setbacks. We're moving forward. Brendan Hymas uh, was was in the news for an interview that he gave um, as he enters the NFL draft and paraphrasing, but more or less said he didn't think they turned much of a corner culturally uh, as a team. And he cited he, Matt Farniak, Adrian Martinez trying to rally the team together in the offseason, but that it just flat out didn't work. A couple things there. Just curious. Do you think that's <laughs> – do you think that's um, – so what I took away from that – I just I'm, get your comments here. What I took away from that is they still have not found effective player-led leadership. And that's not to point fingers. It's just to observe that obviously you don't have – that very strong, it is my way or the highway, this is how we do things here, leadership in the player ranks in that program. What was your big takeaway? Well, what, my, my first takeaway for both of you guys is, didn't you want some more context to the yes. interview? Yeah. yeah you, wanted, you wanted like some follow-up um, because that, that interview was not done by a Nebraska media member. That was done by somebody who is you know, working for a website it's trying to talk to somebody who was at the Senior Bowl, and then, oh, by the way, you know what's going on in Nebraska? Or they haven't been winning. Um, I, I think it would be handled differently if it, was, if it was one of us. But with that said, I hate this because we, we talk about culture, and we know how important culture is, but we've never had it defined. What are the issues with culture? Do we ever, do we ever get any specifics on, hey, this is exactly what's wrong? We just kind of get talking around all of it. And you don't hear defensive guys talking about culture. Is it a program culture? Is it a position group culture? What's going on there? Um, because if you look at the offensive line, it wasn't like it was a bunch of newbies there. There were still some you know, guys that were a little long in the tooth. Um, if that's the case, if the older guys weren't getting through to the younger guys, and remember, it was probably about a month ago, Scott Frost had that sit-down with uh, the newspapers, and he said, you know, he kind of bristled up about 
why is the defense together and the offense is not? And he said, well, they don't have as many young guys. You know, maybe that adds some credence to what Hymas was saying. But whatever it is, you've got you to get it fixed. You gotta, I, hope, I hope they have an understanding of when he's saying something like that, they already know that's an issue. But I, I don't know. It was just kind of a little – I wanted a follow-up to that one in particular because if that's the case, that's not good because you're still going to be young. I mean, it's not like all of a sudden guys got two years older, um, and one of those guys is presumably your starting quarterback who could be in his third year as a captain. Um, so I, have they turned the corner? Probably if you're looking at it from the offensive side, no. On the defensive side, anybody asked that left the program, I'm sure they would say something entirely different. Sharpie, to, to follow up on that, as you've been around this game and this program – for a long time. Wow, you just made me feel super old. No, no, it's an experience uh, pat on the back. You okay? have a uh, long in the tooth. Uh, no, it's... <laughs> I have trouble getting through to Elijah, I'm telling you. No, I don't. <laughs> well, we're not going to get into to program leadership here. Uh, this segment brought to you by Depends. It is. Uh, get me some, uh, some prune juice and let's go to the can. Um, so when I look at the offensive side specifically, that's the side of the ball that's, that's struggled, right? It's, it's been turnovers. It's been penalties. They've gotten their own way. They're trying to figure out exactly what they want to do. And we don't want to make it a, an offense versus defense argument. I, I don't. But clearly, that's the side of the ball. Do you, do you believe it's kind of a proof of concept thing where that's why they're sluggish, that's why they're struggling, that's why they're a mess, where they needed to pop, they need to see what's being preached actually work. Is that part of this this bigger picture issue with, with the offense and, and the culture discussion? Well, I think also on offense you have, you, you have had a wide split of older guys in the program compared to younger guys in the program. And in a weird season like last year, you know, where younger guys are like, whoa, what's going on here? This is not the experience I signed up for. Right. I mean, they, that might, might factor in. I just think there was, last year on offense, it seemed like there were so many questions. and You, know, you, didn't, you didn't really talk about the defense and guys either not getting along. or I mean, guys look like on defense they were having fun playing yeah. together. I don't know what it was on offense, whether – players sense that coaches were not on the same page and that's filtered down. It just seemed like it was a jumbled mess on offense. And I, I think it's being addressed in the offseason in terms of who's doing what and more control and more uh, delivering the message. But whatever, whatever happened on offense, I hope they've learned their lesson so it doesn't happen again because they're still going to be relatively young on offense led by a guy that could be a third-year captain. So you've got to figure that out. Um, you know, if you look at the offensive line, some of those young pups, they, that's your culture. I mean, mm-hmm. Turner Corcoran, that's, that's a big part of your culture. Um, I think it's also interesting, you know, people always get into the, well, it's Riley's players and Frost players. Brendan Hymas is one of those guys that was kind of both players yeah. with the majority of his career played for the head coach. So, he's, he, you know, he can express his opinion. He's got his right to do that. He started 40 straight games here. I just think that interview wanted a little bit more. And you guys know, you've been around long enough. This time of the year when there's really nothing going on and something like that pops when you're 12 and 20 in, in three years, it's going to be latched on to and just torn apart and trying to figure out exactly what he was saying. 
As much as we say they're going to be young and they, you know, they will be on all, uh, on the offensive line just in terms of like grade level, class level. Um, but if the if the new transfers pan out, which there's not really a big reason to think that they won't to some degree, right? Torre at receiver, highly decorated at one double A level, um, and then Step at the running back position, who, you know, he's he's not like he's been a thousand yard rusher, but he's been a competent back and he's a big back. Then you have Martinez. Like, you have some veteran presence there at some pretty key spots, um, tight end as well, right? Like, mm-hmm. can, can we get away with this whole young thing? Like, I get it a couple spots in the O line, but like other than that, it, I don't know. There's a lot of guys coming back. Well, and you got some decent veteran uh, if presence. You, if you take out if you take out Torre, who should be on the field on the opening snap uh, in August, you take out. Step if he's your starting running back. Behind him, they're still relatively young, and even wide receivers that got to play last year were they playing in crunch time. Um, so they're going to have to add up those snaps. You know, a tight end, they're not young, even though one of the best tight ends uh, in that room is hasn't even played a game yet. Uh, I, I think we'll get through calling them young when they play a game or two, and they're on the field in crunch time. Not they just get some snaps and they're in the middle of the game. But they're at the end of the game. But I don't know. I, 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 this this isn't new about older and younger guys. So is what's what's the difference? Is it just hey, you know, I'm a young pup and I'm not going to listen to you, or is it the older guys are not the best players, so they don't have a platform to tell everybody else what to do, mm. or they're not following through on what is being preached? I don't know. There's a disconnect there. They've got to get it figured out. Because on defense, they kind of have the same mix. They have some young guys, and they have some older guys, including a, you know, a JoJo Doman, who's ancient. And they're getting through to each other. I just think they need to find a way to make playing offense in Nebraska fun. And that should be fun. And it hasn't looked like it's been fun. Well, on defense, those guys fly around, and they celebrate with each other, and they're on the sidelines, and they're together. You've got to figure that out in the offseason, because you can't go through another year where you've got disconnect on offense. Sharpie to wrap here a couple of minutes. The Heartland Hoops Classic. Uh, big day of basketball in the state. Sunrise Christian, Oak Hill, Millard North, Bell West. Uh, what are you expecting to get out of today? Well, I think you're going to find that those are the two best teams in Class A. And the state of Nebraska is really starting to produce some basketball talent. Because remember, you got Isaac Trout from Grand Island right behind him. I think it's unfortunate where Nebraska basketball, when you know, you've gone through a stretch where you don't have elite high school basketball players in the state, that the top two in this class are getting away, and one's going to go play in the conference, and you're going to have to probably see him a couple of times a year in Chucky Hepburn of Bell West. Hunter Salas is what Hunter Salas is. He's a dynamic player. He's one of the best ever to play in the state. Um, yeah, I think it's a great, it's a great setup. Uh, it's a fun tournament. They bring in national competition, so you get to see – Millard North and Bellevue West. It's going to be a challenge for both of those teams playing today. But the biggest one is these two get experience, and then we get to turn around and hopefully see them play for the Class A final once again. Sharpie, have a great weekend, buddy. Thanks for the time today. Hey, stay warm, guys. Thank you. Right, there he is. Yeah, Gary Sharp you, Gary. with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Cranach, uh, about 20 seconds here, brother. What do you got going rest of the weekend? I'm uh, just going to go outside and roll around in the snow for a little while. and Topless again? Yeah, you know. Make it happen. Um, good show, though, brother. It was good fun. To talk to you. It's good to see Stay you. Warm. Elijah, appreciate you, brother. Uh, podcast, uh, you've got a slew of options 
on the HerdAtMedia.com. Great podcast choices. Give us a review. Tell us what you think. Hail Varsity, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. And we'll be back and uh, maybe talking about a win or another kick in the junk for Nebraska basketball Monday at 4. Take care. Have a good weekend. Warm up. Tale Varsity were presented by the Nebraska Lottery.